Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to B4 Church Online. Hey, I know that like many of us, we were just getting in the swing of being here in person gatherings. And I know it's an adjustment to get back to the online church experience. But here's one thing is that I'm incredibly thankful that we have some way to stay connected. Hear me on this. It's super important that we stay connected to the message of the gospel, especially in times like today. It's super important that we stay connected to the story of our church community as well. But that being said, this week somebody asked me, hey Alex, do you like speaking to a camera? Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? If I like speaking to a camera, I would have become an actor right? But I became a pastor, which means I like being with people. There's literally no substitute to being with people, to being in this space and to worshiping God together. But I get it, and I'm thankful that we can keep people safe and yet continue to stay connected. So wherever you are, whatever time of day you are tuning in, thank you. Thank you so much for prioritizing this time, not for our sake, but for the sake of the gospel and the work of the kingdom of heaven in our city. Hey, so if you've been tuning in over the last few weeks, you know that we have been in a series titled All Things New. It's a vision series about who we are and where God is taking us. And Pastor Brad has led us in in this beautiful mission statement that we exist to partner with God in the renewal of, of all things. No small task, right? The renewal of literally everything. That is what God is up to in the world around us. And as we've journeyed deeper into that, what we've talked about are these things called the four B's of B4 Church. We've talked about beholding Jesus and who he is, belonging to his people. We've talked about human being and being made and renewed and transformed into the image of Jesus. And last week, Pastor Brad talked about what it looks like to live in beyond, to think beyond our four walls and to think outside of our comfort zone into the cities that God has called us into for their flourishing, for their good. That is the summation of this entire series. If you missed it, boom, there you go. I just gave it to you. Oh, no, but seriously, go back and listen. I think it's important. But Pastor Brad, I got to tell you a funny story. He reached out to me over text, and he's like, hey, man, I would so love it if you could continue in this series and then wrap it up. It's like typical Alex style. I fire back a text message as fast as humanly possible. Yes, man, so excited. Can't wait. It's going to be great. And then... A few minutes go by and like panic begins to settle in because this daunting question that's like inside of my soul is how the heck do you finish a series that's already done? Right? Like we've already done all of the B's. What do you mean do you want me to finish the series? And so I started scratching my head and I started asking God, how can I finish something that I feel like is already done. And so literally weeks went on and I prayed because, listen, I'm not good at a lot of things. I know that. Um, I often say yes to things before I even like know how to get them done. And I learn from lots of failure and mistakes. But hey, it's all going to work out, right? That's kind of my personality. There's one thing I've learned in many, many failures. That's this. It's probably a good idea to pray before you do something. And so, yeah, here I am in this place where I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do, but I'm praying, I'm praying. 
And it, has anyone ever been in this situation where you're praying and you don't hear anything <laughs> for like weeks at a time? And here I am again and we're five days away and I'm supposed to be right here, supposed to be leading you in some epic message and I have no idea what I'm going to say. And I'm in the commons on Sunday morning, and for the third time, listening to Pastor Brad's message on a screen, kind of listening. It's a third time, right? I've heard it a couple times already. It's going on again, and I'm listening and lamenting to the people around me, um, or listening to them lament about stay-at-home orders and things changing again and us having to take a step backwards. And I'm beginning to process my own emotions about all of this because it feels like March just keeps going, like the month of March just never ended, like it's March 202nd tomorrow. Like we literally feel like it just keeps happening. And so I have all the feels and I know you have all the feels and everybody on Sunday kind of had that cloud as well. I'm taking a breath and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to Brad talk about beyond, beyond. And he makes this joke. And it was like, boom, God got my attention. Finally, after weeks and weeks and weeks of prayer, God finally got my attention through Pastor Brad's joke. And isn't it funny how God talks to us? He often speaks in ways we don't expect. And so here I was in the comments. I was watching it on the screen. And Pastor Brad makes this joke about Jeremiah 29, 11, the most cross-stitched, bumper-stickered, Pinterest-boarded verse in the Bible, period. And it hit me. That's it. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible or if it's brand new for you, let me just read it to you. And I think you'll understand why at this point in time and right now, it's important that we dive into this verse. The prophet Jeremiah, speaking on behalf of God, says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you or to bring you shalom and not to harm you. And plans to give you hope and a future. See, there it is, future and hope. See, I needed it on Sunday. I needed to be reminded of this verse, which is so spoken and often misunderstood, and I knew it, but I needed to hear it again, and I felt like what the Lord said to me last week was just plain and simple. Remind this declaration to my people that there is a future and that there is hope. But as I said, this is a verse that's often misunderstood. And sometimes we have this false idea about what hope is and what it isn't. And so today, my task is very simple. And hopefully my message is actually concise and short. We'll see. I don't know. I'm just getting started. I want to talk about what hope isn't. I want to talk about what hope is. And then simply, I want to talk about what does it look like for us today to live as people of hope. But before I do, wherever you are, would you just join, join me real quickly in a word of prayer? Um, God of hope, would you speak? I just pray that wherever we are right now tuning in, there'd be an opportunity for us to just take one big, deep breath. <sighs> to pause and to allow your word to speak over our life for what we're facing right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before we talk about what hope is, let's talk a little bit about what hope isn't. In the Bible, hope is not wishful thinking. 
Now, I know a lot of things have changed this year, but let me tell you one thing that hasn't changed. Target still knows whose households have little children, right? The Target toy catalog is still coming to my home. Now, when I was a kid, I used to get this catalog and I'd open it up and I'd circle like the five things that I was supposed to get or wanted to get for Christmas. So the Target catalog comes to my house. Um, I have three daughters, Scarlett, she's six, Isla's three, Lennon's one. My six-year-old and my three-year-old grab the Target catalog and they disappear for like an hour. It was a glorious hour, by the way. Like quiet in the Lesler home, which is either like a good thing or a bad thing. We don't know. But fortunately, I knew what they were doing. And they came back and they presented the Target catalog to me. And I kid you not, every single toy in the Target catalog was circled. Wishful thinking. That's what that is. Their Christmas list was nothing but wishful thinking. No way they're getting every toy in the Target catalog. But see, I think that oftentimes when we think about hope, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like circling a few things on a catalog and maybe hoping, wishing that something might happen. I hope she likes me. I hope I get a call back for that interview. I hope I get that puppy I hope I can be with my family for Christmas. Ooh, too soon? Sorry. I know. I'm working through it as well. See, here's the deal. Hope does include anticipation, but it is so much more than throwing a penny into a wishing well. Hear me on this, that surely the creator and the sustainer of the entire universe is capable to do more than simply fulfill a wish. So our hope must be more significant than that. So hope is not wishful thinking. Second, hope is not the same thing as optimism. They're different. See, optimism is this general feeling that all of our circumstances are somehow going to work out in a positive light. And now hear me, I like optimistic people. I hope I am one, by the way. Like, I think this world needs more optimism. It's so fun to be around optimistic people because they're happy and they're joy-filled and the glass is always half full. But see, optimism is rooted in our circumstances. And hope, well, hope is not. The other thing about optimism is that it is generally connected to positive emotions of some sort. Happiness, joy, fun, things like that. The thing about hope is that you can be desperately and bitterly sad and that you can cling on to hope. Think about Jesus on the cross who is crying out in agony of pain and feeling separation from his Father in heaven and yet somehow knew this very act would become a beacon of hope for all eternity. He held on to the tension. And that's this interesting thing about hope, is that as you, you, and me are journeying through what feels like a really hard year, well, it is, it doesn't feel like it, it is a really hard year. And we've all gone through really hard things. It can be easy to feel despair, sadness, fear, anxiety. Um, You fill in the blank with a negative emotion. And what I want to say to you is it's possible to hold those things and yet at the same time 
hold on to hope. See, this is why hope is not the same thing as optimism. If that's the case, then what is hope? Or a better question, what is biblical hope? Well, I'm glad you asked. Biblical hope is based on a person. Biblical hope isn't about your circumstances. It is based and centered upon a person, one person, and his name is Jesus. Paul in Colossians, a letter to a church, um, which, by the way, he wrote in adverse circumstances. What he says, amongst many other things, is this. Christ in you is the hope of glory. See, contrary to circumstantial evidence, what Paul is saying is that my hope is in Jesus. Your hope is in Jesus. Contrary to all the things happening around you, your hope is in a person. Not in a circumstance or not in a thing, but Jesus. Now, in order for that to make sense, it has to make sense within this broader story that God is telling us. And we call that the gospel, and it's kind of laid out for us through the entirety of Scripture. And so what I want to do is just give you this big overarching picture of the gospel of Jesus, and at the end of it, you'll see that's where our hope is found. In the beginning, God created the universe. He literally spoke, and everything came into existence. I'm reminded that there is a being that has pre-existed everything else, and he just so happens to love you. He happens to love me. Now, when he created everything, he put us in this place called the Garden of Eden or the Garden of Delight. He gave us a world to create things. There's this beautiful passage in Genesis 2 where there's all of these raw materials like gold and all sorts of other things that I can't pronounce and rivers and trees. And it's this beautiful world and he puts Adam and Eve inside of it and he says, go create something. Here's potential. Go make something. Take this story someplace. The creator of the universe makes a garden of delight for humanity and says, it's yours. Make something out of it. Now, one of the other beautiful things about who God is is his security. Like, he's not concerned about handing over his authority, his kingship to his creation. He literally calls us kings and queens. An insecure God would not do that. But he does. He commands us to rule and reign. But also in doing that, you know, you got to understand a God who is that secure, he creates these beings that have the ability to choose to love him or to reject him. Because you can't love without the choice to love. Love is an action, right? That famous 90s worship song, love is a verb, right? You have to actually do something to express your love. And God gives us a world with raw potential and he gives us the ability to decide we're going to love him or we're not. This was a world set up to go forever, without death, without decay, without pandemics or wars or politics. And in the center of all of this was this thing called the tree of life, which was a source of never-ending life for God's creation. But see, the story takes this dark turn. Humans and this other dark, malevolent force, which in the scriptures is called the Satan and these spiritual entities, beings that work alongside of him, rebel. Not created evil or bad in and of themselves, but also given the freedom to walk away from God, to turn their backs on him and choose their own path. And the result? 
a chain reaction for the entire world. All of creation, all of it, Mars, Jupiter, Pluto, and the things that I can't even see or pronounce, all of a sudden, because of what happened here, are broken, needing to be whole and repaired. Remember, we are in the business of partnering with God in the renewal of all things. Something broke in this moment. Rebellion sunk the ship. And it's right in that place where we get our first promise of hope. Genesis 3.15. God is speaking and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring with hers. He's speaking to the dark malevolent force, the Satan, and he's speaking to human beings. And he says, there will be this one human who comes and he will crush your head, but you will strike his heel. What he's saying is there's going to be, in a poetic way, a human being to come who will once and for all end it. He will put evil down. He will deal the death blow to death and evil itself. Right after the human story and all of creation goes off track, the first thing God does is provide hope for a future. See, this story It's going someplace. As humans are then exiled out of the Garden of Eden, they are walking away from the presence of God, and the door to the garden is shut. Now hear me on this when I say that that's deeply symbolic. There's in the scriptures a picture of an angelic being and a flaming sword, and it's kind of this crazy scene. But behind him is that never-ending source of life that I told you about. The tree of life, it is there, it's present. And if the humans were somehow to bypass that angelic being and take from the tree of life, they would live forever separated from God in this broken state, in this broken world. And so God protects them, protects us from ourselves. But the door back into God's presence, back into eternal life, has been shut. But again, the story is going someplace because of this promise of hope. Now we fast forward um, to the prophet Hosea and we learn something new. We learn that biblical hope says that this story is going someplace for our ultimate good. In Hosea, hundreds if not thousands of years after the door to the garden is closed, the people of God are in a tough spot. They're in a difficult situation. There's oppression, there's violence, there's injustice everywhere, famine, disease, all of those things. And God speaks to his people through a prophet. And this is what he says. I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. The word Achor in Hebrew literally means trouble. So what he's saying is this. There's this thing. I understand what's happening in your world. I know you feel like you're in the middle of a valley of trouble. But right in that place, in the most unlikely place, I am going to open up a door of hope. And church, I think you need to hear that. I needed to hear that this week, that right in the middle of or at the end of 2020 or however, whatever year it is and however long this has been, in the middle of it all, there is a door of hope opening for us. But you know what's interesting is that circumstances don't change for them right away. In fact, hundreds of years 
go by before they even really get to see what the prophet is speaking of. And yet, hope remains. And again, this, is, this interesting quality of hope is that if circumstances don't seem to change or go the way we want them to, hope remains. And hope sustains. And hope carries us forward. We get to the Gospels, which were biographies of Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, we see another interesting door of hope. The text says this, Some of our men went to the tomb, but they found that it was empty, just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. The empty tomb is a new door of hope. Hearkening way back to the garden, way back. There's a reason why the tomb was found in a garden. Hear me on this. There's a reason why the tomb was sealed shut and then the door was opened. What was left behind in the tomb is death. As Jesus walks out, he brings forth a whole new reality. He brings forth himself resurrected, and in doing so, he makes a declaration that this story is going someplace. See, what we learn from all of this, this big whopping story about hope, is a lot of things, but one thing is this. We look forward by looking backwards. <laughs> I know that sounds counterintuitive. We look forward by looking backwards. We do so by trusting nothing other than God's character. The Apostle Peter, reflecting on all of what I just said, this grand epic story of the gospel and how God has changed human history by coming as the person of Jesus, by defeating death once and for all, by being raised from the dead and opening a whole new door of hope. This is what he says, reflecting on all of that. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, beyond our circumstances, I hope this changes. I hope that changes. I hope coronavirus ends. I hope the global um, economic crisis stops. I hope this politic battle ends. Beyond those things, to our deepest human need, Jesus has ended death and evil once and for all. Something that they missed in the first century, and it's something we often miss now, because we think he should have just showed up to fix our circumstances, but he showed up to correct the wrong in the garden. He showed up to let us come back home once and for all. So biblical hope. Jesus is who he says he is. He will do what he says he is going to do, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of your circumstances. I place my hope firmly in him because he's alive. It's real. It's tangible. Listen, everything else out there can change, but one thing that cannot be taken away from me is Jesus. Okay, so with that, how do we live as people of hope? In the next five minutes, I hope to answer the question. What you hope in shapes what you live for. I'll say that again. What you hope in shapes what you live for. 
If your hope is misplaced, it's going to shape your attitudes and your actions, your Facebook posts. (laughs) I've been with people over the last few months, and I've watched how circumstances have caused them to plummet in their overall well-being. And I get it. I've got all the feels too. I already told you that. And yet, my hope is not in who is in the White House. My hope is not in where my 401k or 403b, because I work for a nonprofit. My hope is in none of those things. My hope cannot be taken away because it's in Jesus. But for right now, in this season, I think it's time for us to get rid of our idols of hope. Which I know is a hard thing to say, but I know it's hard to say, but what I mean by that is this, is that if you're listening to this and what's coming into your heart is this recognition that your ultimate hope has not been placed in Jesus, but in something else out there, today is the day to put those things away. Listen, what we do in this life does matter. I am not to say that economics and politics and justice Um, pandemics, those things don't matter. Remember, we are in the city for the city. We exist to help human beings flourish. I'm not saying those things don't matter. I'm just saying that they don't hold my hope and they shouldn't hold yours either. What we hope in shapes what we live for, hope in Jesus. Next, don't let go of hope. I think This is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible, which I say that about a lot of verses that I like in the Bible. I probably have hundreds of favorite verses in the Bible. Hebrews 10, the author of Hebrews says this in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who is promised is faithful. I don't entirely know what holding unswervingly even means, but I think about it in the sense of like, one of my daughters loves when I grab her and I spin around in circles with her, you know? I will not let her go. I can't. There's too much at risk. If I'm spinning really fast, I'll do that just for effect. And I let her go. It's too much, too much to lose in that moment. So I hold on to her tightly. And I don't let go. As I said earlier, time to get rid of your idols of hope. This means it's time to cling on to Jesus. Listen, there's so many things, so many things that can distract you, pull your attention away. And the scriptures remind us, hold unswervingly to this hope that we profess. Which is not always easy. Some days it will be harder than others. Some days it'll be a struggle to even wake up in the morning and get going. I get it. I know it. I'm with you. And yet, speak this verse over you. This isn't a doom and gloom message, by the way. Hopefully you're feeling hopeful. (laughs) See what I just did there? Wishfully thinking that you would be hopeful. Listen, I've been challenged by this in my life because I have found in the last year, one of the ways God has used 2020 in my life is to help me see that so much of my well-being has been wrapped up in holding on to the wrong things. This year is a chance for you and for me to hold on to Jesus and to not let go. And again, I told you this message would be simple. What hope isn't, what hope is, and finally, how we live as people of hope. And there's many more things I could say, but I want to kind of end right here. And I honestly think that if we did this, the potential to change the world is insane. 
Not us changing the world, but Jesus working in and through us, especially in this time. Peter, again, reflecting on this living hope, says this to the church. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. So be a sharer of hope. A few weeks ago, somebody, um, yeah, the election results were announced. And that day, I had people on both sides of the aisle come to me and ask me how I was feeling. And I was fine. I was good. I actually had a really good day, regardless of wherever my opinion is about wherever things should have gone. And both people responded thinking that and somehow that confirmed my vote, and it didn't. What it confirmed was this. Regardless of who's in the White House, I know who's on the throne in the kingdom of heaven, Right? And it was that moment when they saw something that my heart wasn't tugged in one way or the other. That day I was doing good, right? Like I already told you, I haven't done good every day, right? But that day I did good. And that day they asked me, how are you so okay today? And that was my chance to tell them about Jesus. Now Peter goes on to say this, do that with gentleness and respect. Very important point. But the point remains, be sharers of hope. Now the worship team is going to come up and we're going to take some time to sing. Again, it's a simple message, a simple place to sit. But I truly, honestly believe that if you allow this word to sink into your heart, your circumstances won't change, but your hope will. And I think that's the most important thing for all of us. However much longer this lasts, however much more we go through, with all the vision that we have had and all the vision that we hope to live into in the season to come, we are called to be people of hope, sharers of hope. So would you sing and join me in this song of worship together? moment like Alex said to to offer up those idols of hope to realize wherever you are mentally physically spiritually that his hope and his presence lives among us right now so let's worship and sing this out the atmosphere is changing now
our hope, our hope is what we just sang, the kingdom of heaven coming down and transforming and changing this world because of Jesus, our hope. Church, would you do something with me wherever you are, the best of your ability if you can, would you please open your hands with me? And this is something that we've been doing since Pastor Brad got here. It's just simply speaking a prayer of blessing over you. Church, may you be people of hope. Genuine, true, deep, bold hope in a world that is filled with chaos. May we be people that cling, hold onto, and never let go of our King Jesus. And may we be sharers of hope. Wherever we go, whomever we encounter, may we be a people ready to share the hope that we have in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, thank you so, so much for joining us here online, wherever you're at. And we miss you so much. We can't wait to be gathered again in person. Tune in to our online services. Engage with stuff that we have throughout the week on our website. Can't wait to see you again. Can't wait to hear from you. We love you. See you later. Bye.